today I wanted to start talking maybe about some Christmassy things because I guess this is the season that we would be speaking Christmassy. I read Isaiah 9-6 when I had gotten up today. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, there's something that stuck with me in there, and it's the Prince of Peace part. We're in that time of year where you will see peace on ornaments, on every, on cookies, you name it. You're going to see peace everywhere. I wanted to dig into it a little bit today. Something that I discovered in working with children through the years is that there are some innate things about children. If you put more than one child in a room, do you know what will happen? They will play tag. No one will say start playing tag. They will start playing tag. It just happens. And it doesn't matter where it is, formal, informal setting, these kids would just start playing tag. And it hit me that there are some things that are just innate that just break out. And there are other things that are not so innate. And one of those things can be peace when it comes to the family of God, when it comes to the lives of Christians. The other day I had the opportunity to go and wait a long time at Cracker Barrel for food for my wife, whom I love. I do, I do, and I waited a long time there, and as I did, I was standing talking to a man about how good the okra at Cracker Barrel is, and this lady came in, and she was not happy. You could just see it, and she proceeded to say, you know what? I ordered food, I got home, and I didn't have my pie. And I'm not happy about it, and I'm not leaving here until I'm happy. And I'm thinking, (laughs) you may be here a while, right? I mean, she's not happy. Well, it escalated. The manager came to help her. It escalated. It really escalated. And it was wild because a lot of people were coming like, what is going on? And in my heart, I thought, yeah, I kind of saw it going this way. You ever have those, those circumstances where you're like, yeah, that's not a shocker that that went to a solid 10 out of 10. I say that because peace is a goal for us as Christians, as believers. It is this goal. In Matthew 5, 9, the Beatitudes, Jesus says this, blessed are the peacemakers. For those of you who like blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. It doesn't say, blessed are the peace noticers, blessed are the people who really think peace is cool, but it says, the peacemakers. That's a tough one. If this gospel that we believe in cannot be caged, then we are called to make peace. Oh, this is tough. I think of this. My mother-in-law. I'm not going to mention burned rolls, I promise. No, she will make incredible food. And what's funny is I've been over there at times, and she'll say, you know, I went to make this, and I didn't have this ingredient or that ingredient, so I used something else. Is it good? And it's delicious. It's like she makes it happen. She doesn't just back away like, nope, not doing chicken and dumplings because I don't have whatever you put in there. I don't know because I don't cook them. But she makes it happen. And the same with us as Christians, there are going to be times that you come up against things and you think, I don't have what it takes in my mind to make this happen. And God's going to say, go forward. 
do it, do it. Good things are going to come out of this. At the beginning of the U.S. involvement in World War I, there was a university, Columbia University. They sent out a questionnaire to some of their faculty to help determine from these educated people what course of action this university should take to help America in her time of need. One of the faculty members came back with this. He said, I'm going to mind my own business. That can be our go-to, our knee-jerk reaction whenever we come upon conflict. As a child of God, that can be where you retreat. A peacemaker knows that conflict is his business. I had a major pain idea that, in that movie when he's like, conflict is our business and business is good. <laughs> Peacemaking is not a passive quality. Not at all. Jesus, when he addresses his followers, in the word of God, when you look at how we as the family of God are addressed, says in the word, 1 Peter 3, 10 through 11, we should seek peace and pursue it. In Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. Ironically, the word here links back to this pursuit that's not just like this cute chase or this cute go after kind of thing. These people lived during a time where they were literally pursued for their belief in Jesus Christ. And so you could be having church and all of a sudden I could say, oh man, they're coming, Janet, we got to run and we would have to bolt. And when they would run, they wouldn't just run for show, they were running for their lives. And so Jesus is painting this picture here saying, you understand what pursue means because you have been pursued. Therefore, I'm calling you to chase peace down in that same way. And you know at times when you were running away and maybe like little kids with tag, you aren't trying to get caught. There are going to be times when peace may be tough to catch. There may be situations where you're running and you think, I, I don't know if I'm going to get it. And then you have to kick it up a gear and go after peace. If you've been there, you know. If you haven't been there, get ready. We live in a time when it seems like there's plenty to be angry about. I don't think I've witnessed a time in my life when there has been just more anger right below the surface in so many. In church, out of church. When I was first reading that, and maybe when I said peacemaker, some of you were thinking of Doc Holliday with a cult peacemaker. I'm your huckleberry kind of thing. God's not calling us to be Doc Holliday. He's calling us to bring his goodness into a situation when it may not be what we want to do. That's tough. That's tough. And so the writer of Hebrews, he's saying to those people, are you angry? Then chase something. Don't chase people. Don't chase, like if we believe in this spiritual warfare, if we believe in this heaven and hell aspect of things going on that you and I can't see, but we know that we know that our Daniel prayers make a difference, then it's time to start chasing down peace. It's time to start doing it in front of people in a way that they may think, are you crazy? I think when I look at these things, that actively pursuing something is tough. We have a treadmill in our living room that I have used four times in four months. But I feel active looking at it. 
God is going to call you to actively pursue things other people may not think makes sense. So there was this monk. His name is Telemachus. You may have heard of him. Maybe not. But he lived in the 5th century. And so what Telemachus does, he goes to be alone in the desert. Him just to get alone with God. And so he gets out there and he is alone with God. And he has a realization. He thinks, how can I properly serve God without serving other people? I got to get in society. And so what he does is he goes not just to society, but he goes to Rome. And at that time, Rome, it was considered a Christian culture. You know, when you would have certain emperors who would turn to Christianity, then it was cool. When they were not cool with it, it wasn't cool for you. It was a cool time. And so as he goes there, they started something around that time. About 80,000 people, Christians included, would get together in the Colosseum and they would watch people fight to the death. And so Telemachus, he goes And as he's there and realizes what's going on, he's like, no, no, no. And so he does what any sane person would do. He jumps the fence and gets in the arena between the two people fighting. And how do you think this story goes? Here's what's awesome. And so at this point, the crowd of 80,000 takes out a tissue, wipes their eyes, and throws olive branches into the ring. No. They came to see people fight each other. The 80,000 people, as he is pleading with people for peace, the 80,000 people decide this guy's interrupting the show. They stone him, right? You're like, oh, this is a happy story. But he, he dies. Three days later, the emperor declares him a martyr and puts an end to the games as they knew them to cause death. Are you willing to take a stand when other people don't think a stand should be taken? Are you willing to leave a comfortable place to go where you may be called to do things that make you uncomfortable? Are you wanting to blend into the crowd or are you wanting to hop the fence? Do you understand that sometimes the stones that may be thrown may be thrown from familiar hands, but are you going to pursue peace anyway? Don't stop now. There's something that in church you hear from time to time. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how do you make it salty again? This would always throw me. I don't want to lose my saltiness. Like I'd sit around worrying. I don't know if worry can make you lose your saltiness, but I would worry, am I going to lose my saltiness? And it hit me as I was praying one day. If God has given us this supply of salt and we are to use this salt, then there are going to be times that we're going to have to restore our salt storage, right? And so what's important for you and I is to make sure that our salt storage doesn't have a hole in it, that I'm not just throwing salt down here and there, but I'm using it in the times that God tells me to use it, but also that I understand this. Do you know where salt comes from? Well, for us, it comes below Lake Erie. Always wanted to go there. But it's hard work to get salt. You know, we just show up to Drug Mart and we can get salt. Some of you may have got cute little turkey salt shakers for your family. It's easy for us. 
But if you want to restore your salt, sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes you have to put on your little Bob the Builder flashlight hat and get the canary and go down into the mine and get the salt. And so when he's talking about this, what's wild, he talks about being at peace with one another. I have relatives who worked in the mines. I had relatives who died as a result of being in the mines. It wasn't pretty. And there are times it's not going to be pretty. There are times when pursuing peace isn't going to be this easy thing where you just stand up and say, I declare peace. Michael Scott, I declare bankruptcy. Like you can't just stand up and say that you declare peace and everything is just peaceful around sometimes. There are going to be times it's going to take work. And there are going to be times you've got to go down into the mine. There's going to be times when you do that you're going to think, what am I doing? I don't see anyone else going down here. But if you believe that your God has you, if you believe that he has a plan, then do what he calls you to do. When it comes to your salt, it can be easy to throw salt sometimes when when you think that's a good place. It can be tough sometimes amongst other Christians. You ever notice that? We can deal out peace to the world all the time. My kids will defend the craziest things in the world. But, you know, it seems like with church people, with church families, sometimes we can just be closed off. Like, well, they should have known better than to hurt me. No peace for you. No peace for you. I heard a story one time about a man, and he was stranded on an island like Tom Hanks in Castaway, and he was finally rescued. The rescuer said that he shows up, and there's three huts. And he said to the man, you know, what's the first hut? And the guy said, oh, that's where I live. And he said, what's the second hut? And he said, well, that's my church. And the guy said, what's the third hut? He's like, well, that's where I used to go to church. And that's what I feel like sometimes that we get in this place where we believe that the Holy Spirit is this umpire. Like we give into that and we're like, God, I believe in grace. I believe in peace. I believe in these things. But we don't allow the Holy Spirit to be the umpire that the word says that he is to throw a flag on the play. And I'm praying that he would throw flags on the play for me and that I would respect it. That I wouldn't stomp off and spill the Gatorade, but I would say, God, okay. Okay, that's the call. That's what I'm going to go with. If God has placed you in this family, he has done so for you to make peace. Paul says this, be humble, be completely humble, and be gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. He calls us to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient. Bearing with one another is definitely no fun. But peace is a goal that we must pursue. It is a gift. And there are times I was thinking about this. Think back to when you came to know Jesus Christ. Think about how many people were at rock bottom when they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when they did, think about in that moment when they were on their knees, they said, Lord, come into my heart. Did all of their problems evaporate at that point? Did all the consequence just get wiped? No, no. Some unscrambled eggs remained, or some scrambled eggs remained scrambled. That's where it was. But what's wild is that Jesus Christ in his grace eclipsed everything for a moment. 
He can do that. He can do that in your life. He can do that right now. You think about the life of Paul, and this guy did not have a peaceful life, per se. Like getting stoned, getting shipwrecked, getting jailed, getting beaten. All of these things wouldn't say peace, but in his heart he could say peace. When he would greet people, he would say grace and peace be unto you because he knew something. He knew that those things were connected. It wasn't grace or peace be unto you. Have one of them. It was grace and peace going together. And there is a grace of Jesus Christ that will eclipse things and allow you to have the peace that you're looking for. When Jesus was talking to his disciples in Matthew 10, he told them, when you go into a house, do this. As you enter a home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it isn't, let your peace return to you. Do you know what immediately came into my mind when I heard that? Not go in and determine if people are worthy of you. No. I pictured Noah. I pictured the idea of releasing a dove. And your job is to go into a situation and let the dove go. It's up to God whether it's going to return or not. You go into a situation and you release it. And if it goes and it finds a spot, then good. But do not enter a situation keeping your dove in a cage. See, no, no, this isn't a worthy thing. You're not the one who determines that. And you're not the one who made the doves. It's like Doritos. He'll make more. Let the dove go. You and I are diplomats, and there certainly will be times that we enter situations and peace will follow us as being a representative of Jesus Christ. But it's not about a band-aid to make situations better. That is not why he called you. He called you to bring the peace, peace being that function of grace and all grace coming from God. We sing about it. We preach about it. But there are times that I don't even put grace in my mind. It's one of those things I can just think, oh yeah, that's great, grace. Oh, it is. And the times that I dismiss it, I find myself in a place where I lean on my works. Then it's about me. And I can think about 10 people who are so much worse off than I am. But it's about that grace that says, I picked you. You didn't deserve it. Nothing you did or can do would make you deserve it, but it's because of my love for you that I did this. It isn't about my treadmill in the living room. It's about what I do with it. It's about how I take that grace, my thoughts, my intentions, my speech. It's understanding that grace has won a battle that has made peace available to me. It's to understand that grace and peace cost me nothing, but it cost the one who gave it to me everything. And knowing that I'm going to carry it in a way that says I understand the quit claim deed. I don't know if you know what that is, but a quit claim deed means that I can't go back and say that's mine. I I want it back. No, once I put it in God's hands, once I put it under grace, once I let that peace overtake the situation, then I can't say give it back to me, God. Peace belongs to him. I am a representative of him. When he said, blessed are the peacemakers, there's another part of that which we often don't use. For they will be called sons of God. 
in scripture that goes farther than just relationship it's talking about likeness my daughter if you want to drive ella up a wall then there's one statement you can make to her let's see that statement yes (laughs) right i mean it's true it's true but she doesn't want to hear it I found myself at times not wanting to be in God's image because I wanted things my way. That's a bold statement, but it's a true statement. When I decide I'm not going to make peace in a situation, when I decide I'm going to hold on to hurt, when I decide that I, I will remain the victim in this, then I'm saying to God, mm-mm, mm-mm. And as bold as that may sound, that is what we do when we take things into our own hands. You are not blessed because of what you have done. You are blessed because of position. You look like your daddy, your Abba father. When you walk into a room, that's why the devils tremble. When you walk into a room and begin to declare his life, that's when the devil's like, "Uh uh-oh, here comes a wild one. That's where it needs to stay. There was a man who was a deputy assistant secretary of state in the Clinton administration and in the W. Bush administration. And during that time when he was there, there was Middle East conflict. An Israeli official came to Washington to visit him. And he said there is one way to make progress toward peace, and that solution to the whole thing is to redefine sovereignty. Now, when I put that re up there, I'm not defining God's sovereignty. It has been defined. But there are times when, again, I need to tell my heart who he is. There are times that I need to say when I'm shaking, when I'm scared, when I don't know what to do. He is who he is. The re part goes for me, not for him. Because there are times that you need to hear it and you need to tell other people that. There are times that you need to walk into a situation and you need to start declaring his glory before you see outcome. And it's in those times that you'll begin to see the wonderful, the counselor. It's in those times that all those other things will be unlocked. Some of us have spent the majority of our time as a Christian feeling like Joseph. And not the Joseph who was like leaping around, skipping around with his coat on like the Joseph who had been stripped of his coat, thrown in a hole, and sold into slavery. Like, you know God told you things, but, but God, this pit doesn't feel like a promise. I really like my coat. And I feel like for some of us, you know, that peace comes from the idea that I'm not going to mourn my coat I'm going to look forward to the crown. I'm going to look forward to the provision. I'm going to look forward to the favor that comes in every season, whether I asked for that season or not, that my God goes with me and he will bring me to a place of favor. He will bring me before those who will know. It may hurt, but sometimes the peace comes from the way that you walk. I'm going to be closing in a moment. John 16, 33 says, in me, you have peace. 
When it says peacemaker, it doesn't mean be a peace creator. Don't try to conjure it up. It means that you already have it from God, so take it to the places he's calling you to go to. Because that manger, it was about reconciliation. That cross, it was about reconciliation. That empty grave, it was about reconciliation. It is said that on April 9th, 1865, in a little place called Appomattox, my family didn't live far from there, after four years of civil war and over 630,000 deaths, over a million casualties, General Robert E. Lee surrendered the Army of Northern Virginia to General Ulysses S. Grant. It was at a small farmhouse. Said that the two men, when they came together, met and talked like friends for almost an hour and a half before Robert E. Lee, feeling awkward, brought up the subject of surrender. Grant explained the terms, and Lee asked if his men could keep their horses because they would need them for farming once the war was over. Grant agreed, and when he learned that Lee's men were hungry because they had been without rations for several days, he arranged for food to be sent to the hungry Confederates. The terms of the surrender were so cordial that some referred to it not as a surrender, but a gentleman's agreement. In surrendering to Jesus, he's not looking to take everything from you. There are innate gifts. There are things your whole life that he has been molding, that he has been there behind the scenes. He's not looking to strip you of everything. What he's looking, he's looking to refine. He's looking when you come together in a time of surrender that he does have all the power to do whatever he will, but he is not there to crush you. He is there to love you. He is there to give you what you have been longing for. When Jesus hung on that cross and he said, Father, forgive them. That same forgiveness flows to people today. Forgive them for my sake, is what he was saying. And God, I pray that you would allow us to walk in peace where forgiveness would go all around us, where we look like you, Abba, where we do not walk saying, give me my coat back, where we don't walk saying all of these things that have been done, but Lord, let me walk in the way that you have called me to and let peace reign in my life. I would ask this before we go a step farther. That Joseph part really resonated with me. I don't believe I'm alone. I believe there's someone or more than one someone here who at some point you feel like you just stopped. You got hurt and the hurt came because it was someone you respected or someone you loved and you, are just, you don't know which way is up. And I'll go farther to say that whatever hurt you have experienced has shaped the way that you see a heavenly father because you don't know what to do with your hurt. If he could do it for Joseph, 
He can do it in your heart. I'm going to pray if you'll stand. And here's what I would ask. Be honest with God. If there's that bump that you can't get past, then call it out. We're going to have the prayer elders come up here in a minute. And if that's you, then let's agree in prayer. Let's take authority. Let's look to the next steps. In the name of Jesus right now, I declare freedom. And Father, I speak against any guilt. I speak against any condemnation. I speak against any chain of the past that has shackled someone to a place, to a moment, because you define them, not that moment. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that your grace and that your mercy, that your peace and your love would flood this house. That for every person who needs to just hear that whisper that I've got you and it's not over. That I have not forgotten you. I have not left you out in the cold. I have not left you without a plan. But I am looking after you and over you in this moment. And the greater things are yet ahead. In the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray for freedom during this season. That it wouldn't be about peace on an ornament, but it would be about peace in our heart. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.